It's been an exciting mo- or morning so far. We're ready here to dig into God's Word. Our passage this morning, Jesus dives into his healing ministry, you might say. Our series is called Divine Servant. We're looking at the life of Jesus through the book of Mark, and Mark emphasizes a couple of things. He emphasizes Jesus' divinity, but he also emphasizes Jesus' servanthood. In this passage this morning, Jesus is serving. And you know, the idea of serving isn't very popular in our world today. Even as it relates to business, you don't really capture the true sense of serving because the only reason you're serving the customer is because they're paying you. But even in the first century world, servants, of course, were essential. Daily life could not happen with any degree of quality without servants. But you see, even in those cultures, something was lost when it came to the true sense of serving. Because if you didn't serve your master, you could end up in a far worse situation than being a servant. You'd probably agree with me when I say the greatest example of service in history is the life and death of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? The greatest example of service in history is the life and death of Jesus Christ. You know, our key verse for this series is Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But what made Jesus this great example? Why is he considered the greatest example of service in history? What was it about him? We've worked our way through chapter 1 so far. We're actually finishing chapter 1 this morning. And we've seen evidence of his divinity and in one or two ways of how he served people. But today we get into the thick of his serving. Today we get into the thick of Jesus serving the people. He begins his healing ministry, and he also is going to continue his ministry casting out demons like we saw from last week. This week, what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus serving, and I want to point out three ways Jesus served. And I want to come back, and I want to answer that question. What made Jesus the greatest example of serving? So let's begin. Let's go back to the top of the text, verse 29 in chapter 1. Follow along with me as I read. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And they healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The first point I want to make this morning, Jesus serves the people, is this. Jesus served by meeting people's needs. Jesus served by meeting people's needs. 
He leaves the synagogue. That's where we saw him last week. You might remember he was teaching in the synagogue, and he cast out a demon while he was there. He leaves that place. He's still in Capernaum, and he goes to Simon and Andrew's house. Now, remember, they're brothers. And they tell him about, or Simon tells him about his sick mother-in-law. Now, it was not uncommon for relatives to live together at this time. In fact, it was actually the custom that after you married, you lived with the parents of the groom till you had enough money for your own place. But being as this is Simon's house, it's more likely that the mother-in-law is living with them. She could possibly be a widow at this time. And here they tell him, they tell Jesus that she's sick with a fever. Now, the way this is written, they're hoping that Jesus will do something about it. I mean, after all, they just witnessed him exercise a demon out of somebody. So maybe he could do something about this fever. That's probably what they're thinking here. Now, this is not your typical, you know, 99.9 degree fever. In fact, the Gospel of Luke records this same story, and he tells us it was a high fever. She's laying down in bed, and that's telling. Life was hard back then. And if you were not among the wealthy, you worked from sunup till sundown, sick or not. So the fact that she is lying down and not able to serve tells you she's sick. Jesus, after hearing this, he comes in, and what does he do? He takes her by the hand. Just takes her by the hand. This is a gesture of compassion. You know, it's interesting. There's a difference with how Jesus dealt with the demon. He just spoke to the demon. And how he deals with his sickness, he takes her by the hand. There's a gentleness. There's a compassion here. And believe it or not, this is not the first gesture of compassion we're going to see this morning. We're going to come back to this. He takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up, and she's healed. Just like that. The text says the fever left her. And that word left there, that's actually too weak a word. It literally means sent away, left her alone, gone. This is more indication, by the way, of Jesus' authority. We've talked about that throughout the series. He has authority, and he has authority over sickness, and he uses that authority to serve. Jesus heals her so completely. Look what happens next. And she began to serve them. How do you like that? Been sick all day in bed with a high fever, and just because I'm feeling better, y'all want me to serve you. Some of you moms can probably attest to feeling that way after being sick, but that's not what's going on here. Mark records that to show that Jesus' healing was complete. It was total. It was not, well, you know, the fever's gone, but she still needs to rest for a while. No. This is complete and total healing. She is ready to get back up and back to her routines. Now, look what happens as a result. Verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole town hears about what happens. Probably hard to keep that a secret. Now, notice something in the text. Why would Mark record that this happened at sundown? Why would he put that? Well, remember, it's the Sabbath. We're still in the same day from last week when he went into the synagogue and was teaching. We're still in that same day. All of this happened on the Sabbath, and it was not lawful by Jewish tradition. It was not lawful for people to carry things on the Sabbath. 
And by the way, that was not in the, in the law of Moses. You may remember that last week I told you scribes in Jesus' time, they didn't really teach the scriptures. They taught other opinions about the scriptures, which led to a lot of these silly rules like, well, you can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't carry things on the Sabbath. So people had to wait. Even though this miraculous story spread throughout the city, they waited until sundown. Nobody wanted to get in trouble by the scribes, so they waited till sundown. Now, in Jewish culture, sunset marks the end of the day, kind of like midnight for us. Midnight ends the day and starts the new day. Sunset ended the day and started the next day. So once the sun was down, they flocked to Simon's house. We're told the whole city turned up. Now, that's likely just a figure of speech for lots and lots of people. But they're told the whole city showed up, and this is where Jesus' healing ministry just takes off. Look at the, the next part of the text. Many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. There's one thing I, I want to quickly point out here. The Bible makes a clear distinction between sickness and demon possession. It makes a clear distinction between those two things. Many were sick with various diseases. Others were inflicted by demonic activity. And there are a few times, there are a few times when those two situations coincide. For instance, we're, tar we're told in Mark chapter 9 that there's a boy who suffered from seizures due to demonic possession. But we'll get to that later. For the most part, we see a separation, a separation of sickness and demonic possession. They're two different things for the most part. And the reason that I bring that up is because I want to discourage you from looking for a demon behind every bad thing that happens. You know, some, some Christians are like that. They see demons behind every bad situation. And actually, although demons are very active, and although they are doing very bad things, and although they're trying to distract people from the gospel, yes, I'm not denying that, there's not a demon behind every bad situation. There's a distinction there, and I just want to call your attention to that. Sometimes we just get sick. It's a Genesis 3 world. These were the people that had needs, and Jesus came to meet needs. Jesus served by meeting the people's needs. Now, just like last week, you probably noticed this in the text, he does not permit the demons to speak because they know him. You remember, we talked about that last week. In fact, last week, the demon actually called out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, and Jesus silenced him. I told you last week also that demons could not help but reveal themselves. Do you remember that? That when Jesus was around the presence of demons, they could not help but reveal themselves to him. Well, Jesus, in this passage this morning, he doesn't even let the demons get to the point where they name him. He forbids them to even speak. One commentator says that Jesus prohibited the demons from speaking because apparently he did not want his affirmation of his identity coming from the agents of Satan. He didn't let them speak because he did not want his affirmation of his identity coming from the agents of Satan. Jesus himself will declare who he is. Word of Jesus' ability to heal obviously spreads and Capernaum congregates to where he was and he responds compassionately by meeting their needs. Notice he doesn't refuse. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't awkwardly avoid them. He meets their needs. Now, how does that relate to us? Well, I doubt that you have ever 
touched someone and dramatically healed them. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I doubt that you've ever done that. But this does not mean that we cannot meet the needs of others. We have many ways in which we can meet one another's needs. We can give of our time. We can pray. We can give of material possessions. We can give of money. We can give the message of the truth. How can we use these things to meet one another's needs? You know, several years back, one of our children had to spend the night in the hospital, and Heather and I needed help caring for the rest of the family so we could focus on this one child who needed us. And guess who stepped up? Our small group. Our small group stepped in so that they could, be, they could care for our child while we were here for the one who needed us. They were meeting a need. You know, this past summer, I heard a speaker say this. Never pass up an opportunity to be generous. Never pass up an opportunity to be generous. What does that look like? What does it mean to not pass up an opportunity to be generous? It could mean, like we said, giving of your money, of course, but it could also mean giving of your time. It could mean sharing your home. It could mean sharing a brother or sister's burden through prayer and accountability. But never give up an opportunity to be generous. That's how we meet one another's needs. So Jesus served by meeting others' needs. Here's your second point from the text. How does Jesus serve the people? Jesus served by renewal and refocus. You say, huh? Jesus served by renewal and refocus. Follow along as I read verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And they went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. What is Jesus doing here? There's a couple things I want to point out. First of all, he gets alone and he prays. He gets alone and he prays. The text tells us that he rises very early in the morning while it's still dark. Any fans of getting up early while it's still dark? There's a few of you out there. Mm-hmm. What is this telling us? It tells us that he makes prayer a priority. Jesus makes prayer a priority even above sleep. The most precious thing. Well, some of us think so. He gets up early when no one else is up. And by the way, this is after a long night of serving people. He goes to a place where he can be alone and he talks with his father. Jesus, you could say it this way, he tends to his own need by renewal and refocus. He goes to communion with his father. Now, Jesus' time of prayer this happens a lot throughout the gospel narratives that Jesus goes and he goes off to pray. And it happens often after a time of heavy service, like we read here in our passage. But it also happens before significant events. For example, he stays up late in our passage, healing and serving the people, and then he goes off to pray to refuel. But he also goes off to pray before big events. For instance, the choosing of the 12 disciples that we see in Luke chapter 6. He went out and he prayed before he did that. Probably the most intense example of Jesus praying before a significant event is the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Such times of prayer show us that Jesus went to his Father for renewal and refocus. He needed strength to face whatever was ahead. He needed to be renewed after a time of heavy service. Now, stop and think for a second. Who are we talking about? Jesus, very good, yeah. And Jesus is God, very good, absolutely. Why would God need to be renewed? He has an abundant, inexhaustive source of strength. Why would he need to be renewed? Well, right here, what we're seeing is evidence of Jesus' humanity. Evidence of Jesus' humanity. Remember, he is God. But remember, he set that aside. He emptied himself, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. He was also fully human. And we should not forget that. He got hungry. He got tired. He got spiritually tired, and he needed to be refueled from his father. Well, at some point as Jesus is praying, Simon shows up in verse 36. It says, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now, that word searched, that's to pursue or hunt for. They're on a mission. It wasn't just a casual, hmm, I wonder where Jesus is. No, it was all hands on deck. We got to find this guy. He's missing. That's the idea there behind search. They find him. And I think the, the those there, you see that, that plural pronoun there, I think those refers to not just Simon, but Andrew, James, and John who are with him. They find him, and Simon, we know Simon is the spokesman, right? He's always the one to speak up first. He says, everyone is looking for you. And his words there express that he and the others have been so enamored with Jesus' ability to heal that they want him to do it again. Hey, it's a new day. It's time to get back at it. Everyone's looking for you. Let's get back at the healing. Let's get back at the casting out demons. In fact, that's why the whole city of Capernaum was enamored with him, because he was healing them, and he was doing these miraculous things. Nobody was there looking for Jesus because he was their Savior. Their interest in Jesus was surface-related. Simon and the others are thinking, let's set up another shop. Let's just set up a healing shop right out of my home. Jesus can do this all the rest of our lives. But you see, that's not Jesus' plan. Jesus had a mission. We saw last week, Jesus had a message. Jesus responds to Peter. He says this, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus says, no, we're not going to set up shop. It's time to move on. Why does he say that? For two reasons. Number one, The gospel is more than a mere healing ministry. Jesus came to teach. Jesus came to disciple. Jesus came to spread the the message of the gospel. Ultimately, Jesus came to die. And his message was more than just healing, though that was part of it. And the second reason, the second reason Jesus wants to move on is that the gospel was not meant to be localized. It's not meant to be just in Capernaum. The message is meant to spread. Luke 19.10, Jesus says this, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, not just of Capernaum, not just of Galilee, but the world. The gospel was not meant to be localized. Jesus serves by seeking spiritual renewal. He needs this time in prayer with his Father so that he can be energized to move on and serve elsewhere. Now, what does this say for us today? 
Well, if Jesus needed spiritual renewal in order to serve well, how much more do we? Jesus, who is God. Jesus, who is perfect. Jesus, who rejected every temptation. Jesus, who forsook his life, went to the cross, died a horrible death, all to satisfy the wrath of the Father. If he needed to get alone with God for renewal, how much more do we? We who are frail. We who are broken. We who are imperfect. We need that daily time with the Lord or we're going to dry up spiritually and our ability to serve others will suffer. Jesus served by renewal and refocus. Let's talk about the refocus part. He sets his focus on his mission. Look again at verse 38. Simon comes to him and says, everyone's looking for you. And then Jesus says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. All throughout Jesus' life, he is constantly healing people. That's part of how he serves. But you see, that wasn't his main ministry focus. His main ministry focus, like we've said, was to preach the gospel. He came to call people to repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus knew that we had a deeper need than merely being healed in the body. We need to be healed in spirit. So by coming out to pray and then choosing to leave Capernaum, Jesus is shifting his focus back to the mission of the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Jesus lost focus. He's perfect. He always had that focus in mind. What I'm saying is he's shifting focus. I've done the thing at Capernaum. It's time to shift focus back to my mission, back to my message, and to move on. That's what I'm saying there. But you know, for us, when we serve others, it is very easy to lose our focus. It is very easy for us to get off of why we're doing what we're doing. One thing that makes that easy, I think, is that we start focusing on simply the physical needs that people have. Meeting physical needs of others, whether that be somebody within the church or whether it be somebody within our city or whether it be somebody in the world is a great thing. We should do those things. But see, if we allow our focus to only be on meeting the physical needs and neglecting the spiritual needs, then we're missing the bigger problem. Every Christmas here at Harvest, we participate in Operation Christmas Child. And I love that ministry. It seeks to meet the physical needs of children by giving them gifts they would otherwise not have. And that's amazing. And that's a great expression of love and we get to take part in that. But you see, if that's all it was, it would be missing the bigger need. Fortunately, Operation Christmas Child combines the meeting of the physical need with the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to children. And that's the bigger need. And that's one reason why I love that ministry so much. And I love that our church is involved in it. Serving people is awesome. Don't get me wrong. And it's what this sermon is about. But even in serving, we can get off focus. We can make it solely about meeting the physical needs and neglect the message of the gospel. So as we serve, let me challenge you. Look for and pray for ways to communicate the gospel through service. And if you're serving a fellow Christian, let it not be solely about meeting the physical need, but let it be a reminder 
of the ultimate act of service by our Savior. Jesus served by renewal and with focus. Let's look at our last point this morning. We're looking at three ways that Jesus served the people. Point number three, Jesus served by doing what others would not. Verse 39 tells us that he went out through all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And that lays the setting for what happens next. Verse 40, we read this. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus goes through Galilee. He goes through the different towns. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's casting out demons. And at some point during all of that, he's met by this leper. Now, let me just say leprosy was common in the first century. But just to be clear, it wasn't always leprosy or Hansen's disease as we think of today. In Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, the law gives several descriptions of many different kinds of skin diseases, calling all of them leprous disease. If a strange spot appeared on someone, it was the job of the priest to also be a sort of medical examiner and look at the spot and determine if it was leprous or not. And if it was a leprous spot, then that person was forced to live outside the camp or forced to live outside the city. They would have to wear torn clothes. They would have to cover their lip, and they would have to declare themselves unclean around other people. But you know, there's another element to this. Not only were they sick, and suffering from symptoms of an awful skin disease, they were forced to live lonely lives. But there's a third element to this. Not only that, they were labeled unclean, which meant they could not come near the tabernacle or later the temple, and they couldn't even come into a synagogue. They were barred from worship. The leper in our passage this morning, he wasn't even supposed to approach Jesus. It's shocking that he even dares to come near. But you see, word about Jesus has spread. And the leper obviously heard about this. He heard about Jesus' healing ability. So he comes and he finds him and he dares to approach. And notice what he says. If you will you can make me clean, not if you can. He already believes that Jesus can. There's already an element of faith here. It may not be saving faith, but there's an element of faith that Jesus can do this. The question of, the question is, will he? And look what happens in verse 41. The text says, moved with pity. Now let's stop there for just a second. Jesus was moved with pity. Another translation says moved with compassion. I told you we'd come back to this idea of compassion. We might say in our English, Jesus' heart went out to him. 
He didn't look at this leper repulsively like everyone else would have. He was compassionate. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now, if the leper did something shocking, daring to approach Jesus, Jesus does something even more shocking. He touches the leper. That was outrageous. The law forbade the touching of anything unclean, including lepers, because if you touched something unclean, you became unclean, and that was something the Jews avoided as much as possible. But as John MacArthur points out, Jesus could not become unclean. He was the Son of God. He was divine. He had authority over the leprosy. He could not become unclean. Jesus, out of compassion, touches the leper. One commentator said this may be the first time in years this leper had been touched by another human being. He says, I will be clean. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus served by doing what no one else would do. Jesus literally got his hands dirty. He stepped down into the yuck of people's life, and that's what it takes to serve. Now, what Jesus does next might seem a little odd to us. Look at verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus tells them two things. One, don't say anything about this. And two, go and show yourself to the priest. Now let's tackle these two things one at a time. First, the text says that Jesus sternly charged him. It's a strong use there. He sternly charged him and sent him away. Now why did he do that? There's a practical reason here for why Jesus told him not to tell anyone. The practical reason is this. Well, it's, it's laid out for us in the rest of the text. Look at verse 45. But he, that is the leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. See, because the leper goes out and starts to tell everyone what Jesus did, all of Galilee flocks to Jesus. He can't even enter a town anymore. It says he stays in desolate places, which is interesting because that's the same word used in the previous section when he went out to pray, where he went out voluntarily. Now he's forced to stay out because the people have made it to where he can't even enter a town. So there's a practical reason here. The text says, that people came to him from every quarter. That means all directions. People flocked to Jesus. You know, when I was young, I played video games. Sometimes I still do. But I played video games, and I played one that was called Deer Hunter. And the game is all in the name. You're a hunter hunting deer. That's what the game is. Now, it's interesting. The game makers, they made it very difficult for you to get near a deer unless you used cheat codes. You could input what's called a cheat code into the computer that would change the way the computer's supposed to run. And one particular cheat code made you attractive to the deer. And you could watch the screen as they just flocked towards you. And that's kind of the vision I get in my head. All of Galilee just flocking toward Jesus. 
So Jesus was trying to avoid this overcrowding so he could get into town, so he could preach, so he could minister. That's the, the practical reason why he said this. But there's more here. Jesus often tells people not to tell anyone that they've been healed. And I think the reason goes back to verse 38. When, si when Jesus tells Simon that he's come to preach the gospel. Again, it's going about Jesus staying focused on his mission. Healing, as amazing as it is, was not Jesus' main way of serving. He came to proclaim the gospel. And he doesn't want the people to be so enamored with his ability to heal that they fail to see the bigger picture. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, unfortunately, as we see from our text, the leper doesn't obey. He goes out and he spreads the news of what Jesus has done and and you saw what happened. But remember, I said I was going to tackle two things. One, Jesus first telling the, temple, te the, telling the leper not to tell anyone. But the second was telling the leper to show himself to the priest. What's all that about? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a special ceremony of sorts if a person was healed of leprosy. And this ceremony involved a sacrifice of a bird, it involved shaving all of your hair, it involved washing your clothes, it involved a number of things. And after the ceremony, the priest would declare the person clean again, and they could re-enter society. And that's what Jesus is referring to. Why is Jesus interested in the leper following the law? Well, Jesus wants to uphold the law. Jesus never broke the law. The traditions that came from the scribes teaching what others thought, Jesus didn't care about those. But Jesus upheld the law. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Ryan. You just said a few minutes ago that the law forbade anyone touching a leper, and Jesus did that. True. But remember, the reason the person was forbidden from touching a leper is because they would become unclean. And that was impossible with Jesus. He was the Messiah. He could not become unclean. That was a demonstration of his divine power. Here, what we're seeing is that Jesus is upholding the law because Jesus is sinless. And that's why he told the leper to present himself before the priest. So we had to walk through that and explain all that, but let's get back to our point. Jesus served by doing what no one else would. Everyone else would have completely avoided this leper they would have ignored him, or worse yet, they would have chased him off. I read actually this week that there's a story about a rabbi who prided himself over throwing stones at a leper. They were repulsive to the people. But you see, Jesus refused to allow this man's leprosy to be a barrier of service. He compassionately serves this man regardless of his condition. And let me ask this, could the same be said of the church today. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that, suggesting that we abandon all common sense and allow ourselves to be exposed to any and every form of contagion for the purpose of serving. Jesus was called to do this. He was called to heal this leper. And perhaps some of you may be called to serve in ways that are similarly dangerous but that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm really trying to do is to point out that Jesus would not let anything stop him from serving those in need. It's not likely that you're going to come across a leper. 
But what barriers might you face that could cause you to hesitate in serving someone? Inconvenience to your schedule? Someone whose ethnic background you're not comfortable with? Fear of not knowing how to meet somebody's needs? And if you're experiencing any of these hesitations when it comes to serving people, why is that? And have you brought it to the Lord? Have you prayed it through? Have you sought his direction on what's going on there? Don't let anything be a barrier to serving people. Jesus didn't. That was the level of his compassion. And that leads us to what made him the greatest example of a servant. Love. Jesus was motivated not by fame, not by profit, but by love. And that's the motivation by which we should serve out of love for our brothers and sisters. The last thing I want to say is this. I'm not trying to heap guilt or condemnation on anyone in this room who might be feeling the pressure to serve because it's what Christians do. It's not my intent to manipulate anyone into serving. We should never serve out of a sense of guilt. Our service should be an outpouring of the gospel. We should be motivated to serve from the same motivation that our Savior served, love. We serve with the same motivation that held his hands and feet in place as he hung on the cross and spoke these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, how do we attain that same level of love toward our fellow brothers and sisters? By looking to our Savior. The more that we see his love for us, the more that we see how his love motivated him to serve us while on earth, even at the cost of his life, the more we'll display that same love to one another. Look to your Savior, and let's serve out of love. Bow with me. Lord Jesus, you came to serve. Our great an infinite God came down in the form of a servant. How incredible is that? Lord Jesus, if you could humble yourself to that degree, we have no excuse when it comes to serving. And yet, we cannot do it. We cannot serve as we should without your help. Lord, cause us to see your love for us. Let that love motivate us to serve one another. Teach us how we are to look to one another's needs. Teach us to be renewed and refocused. Teach us to do what others would not for your sake. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.